Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father James Gross joined by Father Jason Leffer, priest of the Diocese of Fargo, who um, uh, are uh, enjoying very much being able to uh, share part of our day with you. And whatever you are up to, if you're uh, traveling or um, working on things at home or at work, we are very grateful that you've taken this time to uh, to, to join us uh, today and to be a part of these conversations. People often remark about how um, various uh, testimonies and uh, life stories uh, affect them and uh, really spur certain you know thoughts within themselves. Um, the, the Journey Home, I think, is one of the popular EWTN programs that, folk, that uh, features a lot of these. And so not, not to add too much pressure to our next <laughs> guest here, but we're going to be hearing um, a, a great story here about uh, one young gentleman's uh, conversion to the Catholic faith, Trip Bond. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Well, thank you all so much for having me. Yeah, um, it's been a journey to come into the Church, but the Lord's just really um, paved the way for me, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Fantastic. Now, I have to ask, with the last name, do you like your martinis shaken, not stirred? <laughs> so, um, I actually don't like martinis, but fun story about that. My great-uncle's first name was actually James, way before Ian Fleming ever wrote the book. Oh, so he wasn't the inspiration for the character, though. I mean, he could have been. Secret agent, right? You know, you you can't tell us. You yeah, under pain of death, right? Yeah, right, right. Oh, very good. All right, so please uh, tell us a little bit about your um, your background, your your childhood, and um, you know where that faith journey just began for you. Yeah, so um, I'm a Mississippi boy, born and raised. and I grew up in a Southern Baptist family, but my home was a little bit broken growing up. And I can remember at the age of six, just having this deep, um, for lack of a better term, existential longing that I just knew pizza and video games wasn't going to feel even at the age of six, by the grace of God. And um, I told my mom about it. I just said, I, I feel empty. I feel empty. And I was pointing to my chest. And she gave me the cliche but very effective God-shaped hole in your heart analogy that Blaise Pascal originated, and it worked. And I just realized that if this Jesus is who my mama says he is, if this Jesus is who he says he is, he's the only thing worth following with all my life. And so at the age of six, um, I was baptized into the faith, and um, I just remember feeling so clean and washed, even though I was a Baptist. So Baptists don't really have any type of sacramentology. They call baptism an ordinance. They believe it's just a symbol, and that there's nothing really sacramental that happens. Mm-hmm. But I just felt something different. And um, to my surprise now, I, I asked my mom, I said, why do I feel different? And she said, well, because that's the Holy Spirit coming over you. And since that day, um, I've just kind of lived I guess, like an obligatory life to the Lord. Like, I was the weird kid who took his Bible with him to school all the time. (laughs) Um, But so I I grew up Southern Baptist in that way. Well, I was going to say, in the Deep South, it wouldn't necessarily be weird, would it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you like to think that, but the Bible Belt isn't always the Bible Belt. (laughs) Right, right. Very good. So... um, uh take us uh, take us then into kind of the next chapter of things um 
you know, with uh, uh, where 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 your spiritual journey went next. Yeah, so um, just kind of continuing with the broken home by the time I got to high school. Um, just a lot of things in my life, um, home life and school life, just weren't very good. And um, a lot of kids during that time, they turned to um, drugs or other things <laughs> by the grace of God. Um, I'm a little bit of a nerd. And I discovered this wonderful um, thing called apologetics. And so at the age of 14, um, I remember very nervously typing into my computer evidence for God. And I thought, oh man, I'm either about to destroy my whole worldview or I'm about to believe even more. And just, I was so amazed by all these articles and these apologists who were just speaking about the, the truth of the faith. And that just gave me a love, not just for apologetics, but for theology. Yeah. And it really just kind of became an escape for me um, from just a lot of things I was going through. The uh, the particular author, I guess, that I think of, at least on a basic level with that area, is a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. I'm sure you've heard of him, uh, The Case oh, for yeah. Christ. And uh, I think he, you know, concentrates a lot on, um, you know, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and, and various things like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, there there is a lot of that literature, a lot of that kind of literature out there, isn't there? Oh, for sure. So Lee Strobel, William Lane Craig, um, all of these guys uh, really made an impact on me. And so I was really pleasantly surprised after coming into the church um, a couple of years back that there's a whole part of the church called Catholic Answers <laughs> that's just a bunch of Catholic apologists, and I just thought it was wonderful. Yeah, that's one of the um, kind of the OGs in the uh, in that field. Uh, Carl Keating, I think, is the one who started that down in uh, Southern California. And Catholic Answers has been providing uh, documents and media and books and tracts and things like that uh, for a long time. So, um, at some point, uh, you um, eventually became uh, Anglican. Um, now, are you are you using that term specifically over Episcopalian? Because some listeners might be wondering, well, is it the same? Are those different? different things, kind of how did that, how does that work? Yeah, so they, they are kind of different things. So the Episcopal Church in America is still in communion with the Archbishop of Canterbury, but as many of your listeners might know, the Episcopal Church has taken some more liberal theological stances, we'll say. Um, and so there is a conservative and traditional remnant that came out from them and formed what's called the Anglican Church in North America. Ah, and while they're right, not right. directly in communion with Canterbury, they're kind of in backdoor communion because they're in communion with a lot of other Anglican churches that are in communion with Canterbury. It's kind of like the Eastern Orthodoxy, how there's a lot of schisms, but also backdoor communions. and Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and I think in the... Um uh, the, the global South and in Africa, there have been a lot of similar movements, haven't there, with regard to Anglicanism and wanting to step away from some of that stuff coming from uh, from Great Britain and other nations in the West. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I think we're seeing that even in um, the Northern Hemisphere a little bit with Anglicanism because okay. of the the prominence of the ordinariate. You know. Um, yes. Right. So was it your was it your pursuit of apologetics that led you that direction, or what, what? What were the theological things that were capturing your imagination? Yeah. So um, really, it was just three things. Um, I was in college by this point, and 
the first thing I noticed was that in Congregationalist-style churches, so your, your common evangelical or Protestant churches, um, because the congregation is the one who determines who the pastor is, if the congregation loves the pastor, then he can get away with murder. And I just saw spiritual abuse after spiritual abuse at the hands of pastors with no higher recourse. And I know that the Catholic Church, we, we have problems too, but we have bishops that we can appeal to, and we can appeal all the way up to the Pope if the situation is serious enough. Um, and so I remember driving up to church one day, just being so heartbroken and, and what they call church hurt. And I remember praying to the Lord, I said, Jesus, I'm not losing faith in you, but I'm losing faith in your people. I said, there's got to be something better. And at the same time, I was feeling this very strange, strong attraction to capital B beauty and capital T tradition, which I couldn't explain because like those, like maybe beauty I could, but like capital T tradition was like a knee-jerk thing for me. Like whenever I grew up as a Southern Baptist, um, I wasn't raised this way, but I just kind of became naturally anti-Catholic and anti-capital T tradition to the point that I had burned a crucifix and a Latin Bible because I thought that they were items of the devil. Um, and so now I've made a complete 180, right, by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. But I just couldn't explain it except for a movement of the Holy Spirit in me. So I said, okay, what else is out there in the Christian expression other than what I've seen so far? Yeah. And at the time, and still today, one of my favorite Christian writers is a man named C.S. Lewis. Um, and so I said, okay, well, he was Anglican. Let me see what this Anglicanism thing is all about. So I looked for um, the Anglican Church in North America, and I went and I explored it, and um, that's really where I found the Church Fathers. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to turn to that next here. We're going to have to step aside in a couple of minutes for a break, but um, the uh, if there are a great many uh, converts to Catholicism who say that at some point along their journey, the uh, Church Fathers, uh, particularly of the, the early Church, um, really unlock something for them in terms of their understanding of their faith in Christ. Uh, what uh, particular examples come to your mind in your background? Yeah, so funnily enough, um, it was while I was exploring Anglicanism, I heard what they call an Anglo-Catholic. It's basically an Anglican who just doesn't, uh, who's so Catholic, but they don't um, agree with the Pope, and so they say Anglican, who articulated capital T tradition to me in a way that I couldn't argue with, and he used the Church Fathers. And basically the short of his argument is, if you disagree with the unanimous consent of the Church Fathers, then you have to jump over four different hurdles. Um, the first hurdle is you have to explain how the entirety of the early church went so wrong so quickly, so universally. Then the second hurdle is who's more likely to be right, you and your favorite theologian 1,500-plus years later, or the disciples of the apostles and their disciples? The third hurdle is if you still disagree, what new information or revelation do you have from God that they didn't have available, in which case you should just go become a Muslim or a Mormon, because that was their founder's claims, and there is no new revelation in the Church. Jesus Christ was the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then lastly, if you have a time machine and could go back to the time of the early Church Fathers, where would you find a Church that believed and practiced like yours? And so the more I read of the Church Fathers through that lens, the more and more Catholic I became. 
you know what, Father Leffer, I think this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> That's a, that was a brilliant, a succinct, that, that four-part uh, explanation of, you know, how to try to defend uh, what a person is, is uh, you know, promoting and, and deviating from the, the standard, you know, like we talk about with um, the death of the last apostle, St. John, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, divine revelation you know, coming to an end. And it's not like, you know, we're waiting for tons of new things that have just been withheld, you know, and suddenly in some Gnostic way we receive this new information. So we're going to continue this conversation and dive into some of the more recent parts in your life. We're visiting with Trip Bond as he is joining us uh, uh, on the line from Mississippi, and we'll continue the conversation after this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Welcome back for our home stretch of our Thursday program of Real Presence Live. Father Jason Leffer joining me, Father James Gross from the Diocese of Fargo Studios. Just a reminder, if it's been a while, we invite you to check into our website, realpresenceradio.com. There you will find updates on the programming schedules, uh, network-wide, as well as your particular local stations. We also uh, invite people to leave prayer requests so that you can uh, do the same and uh, join with us in praying for the particular prayer requests that your brothers and sisters have throughout the course of our network and wherever people are listening. So that's realpresenceradio.com. We have been visiting with a young gentleman by the name of Trip Bond, who is uh, telling us about his uh, religious experience growing up in uh, Mississippi and where we left off. You were um, looking at uh, all things Anglican, and actually, from our notes here, you spent time as an Anglican youth pastor. So give us a little bit of a perspective perspective about what that time was like for you. Yeah, so um, that really was my first introduction to liturgy and traditional um, forms of Christianity, and um, I was just taken in by it, especially as I was continuing to study the Church Fathers. I was like, wow, this is what my ancestors in the faith were doing, um, and because their, their uh, liturgy is very similar to the ordinary form of the Mass. Right. And um, so it was just very interesting. And then as I continued to learn more about the Catholic Church, and um, my pastor at the time actually gave me, surprisingly enough, a catechism of the Catholic Church. And so I was just reading that, and it kind of gave me a little bit of cognitive dissonance, because here I was teaching Anglican youth, but secretly going to the catechism of the Catholic Church to inform my own spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um and what, what part of the so what uh, the format or what, like right now we got you know Father Mike doing the catechism here. What part of the catechism really like spoke to you that where you you found that you could trust it or that it it, it worked for you to to go back to it? Yeah, so this is just going to reveal how nerdy I am. Um, but just the index, <laughs> it's yeah. just a really well organized yeah. book. And yep. any question I had about life, about the faith, about the church. I could go to the index and then flip to those paragraphs, yeah. and just the the reason that the the catechism presents is just airtight, but also the deep personal relationship that it invites you into um, with Jesus Christ. It, it I've never been able to encounter something that so perfectly combines deep reason, but also a 
deep relationship with Jesus at the same time. And for what it's worth, Trip, I don't think that it's nerdy at all, you know, to speak about uh, those parts <laughs> of the catechism. I, you know, personally, definitely the index as well as the glossary. You know, you look mm-hmm. at various things, and um, if if you're wondering about what the church says about you know such and such, there is a, a very you know there, there's a very thorough resource at your hands right there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just any any question I had. Um, it was to the point where I would just accidentally spend hours just rabbit trailing because I would go, oh, I wonder what the Catholic Church teaches about this. I wonder what the Catholic Church right, teaches about right. that. So and after, after pro- sorry, go ahead. And I was just going to say, so after making kind of a temporary home within uh, Anglicanism, uh, what was it that, uh, tell us about that next chapter. What eventually brought you to make the big step of uh, converting to Catholicism? Yeah, so um, just as part of reading in the catechism there, I, I discovered that a lot of what I had been told about the Catholic Church were lies, um, that the Church didn't believe a lot of things that I had been told that they had. And so I became more and more convinced through the catechism and the Church Fathers until by the end of it, um, I really just had this strong, strange devotion for an Anglican had a strong devotion to the Eucharist and to um, the, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and I just longed for that. But there were just a handful of things that um, kept me out of the Church, and it was a misunderstanding about the Marian dogmas, and it was a misunderstanding about transubstantiation. So what I did is I reached out to a local parish. I was actually in Memphis at this time at the Anglican Church. And um, I reached out to the RCA director there. Her name is Laurie Lewandowski. Um, so shout out to Laurie if she's listening. And uh, I just said, hey, I have a few issues. And she cleared them up incredibly. So my first issue with um, the Marian dogmas is I misunderstood what the dogmas were. I thought that um, co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix, I thought that these things were dogmas when they're not um, the four dogmas. And then she explained to me so beautifully that what the Church believes about Mary is not for the sake of Mary, but it's for the sake of Jesus. She's the mother of God because of what it says about Jesus. She was assumed into heaven because of what it says about the love of Jesus for his mother. Um, And so that just cleared that away, and I was like, wow, okay, yeah, I can get behind that. And then with transubstantiation, I already believed in the real presence, but I just didn't understand why we had to believe this particular articulation by Thomas Aquinas of what happens in the real presence. I didn't understand why it couldn't be a mystery. And then she finally pointed out one of the church fathers that I had missed that talked about how it's not just bread and body, wine and blood, but he actually said that the bread changes into the body and the wine changes into the blood. And I was like, wow, that's a change in the substance. That's a transubstantiation. And from there, I was like, man, okay, i got to quit my job as an Anglican youth pastor and convert. And I even told the Lord, I said, I'll be jobless and homeless for you if you just make a way for me to convert. And then I did. And so are you jobless and homeless? Did he fall no, through on I'm that? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord has been so, so generous to me. He was abundantly generous. In fact, he miraculously provided a job for me teaching at a Catholic school um, right after that. <laughs> I mean, the, it, it, I, I'm only giggling because, like, we always make these deals with the Lord, and we think of the worst possible scenario, <laughs> whatever. And he, I mean, you can't outdo his generosity. I mean, you, you can try, right. but then he always tops it, you know. Amen. 
Very good. Yes. So um, what was the time frame where you uh, were received into full communion in the church? Um, so by time frame, you mean whenever I came out of Anglicanism to pursue communion? Yeah, or just, you know, kind of how that, yeah, uh, when, when those things unfolded in your life. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, um, let's see, what year is this, 23? So that was back in 2021, and um, I decided to leave the Anglican Church in December or January of uh, 2020 or 2021, and started pursuing the the Catholic Church, um, and they told me, hey, since I had done all this reading, and since the Lord, by His grace, had given me this catechism that I had just devoured, they said that I wouldn't have to go through the full RCIE program. Um, I would just able, be able to be confirmed that Easter. So, not Easter, Vigil of Pentecost. So this past Vigil of Pentecost of this year was my two-year anniversary of being confirmed into the Church. Wonderful. Well, congratulations to you, Tripp, and and I uh, want to just, as we bring this conversation to an end, uh, thanks so much for sharing that story. I know that there, I can imagine a lot of people, perhaps uh, listeners who have children your age who are thinking about about the journey that you've gone on, and I'm sure it's giving them a lot of hope. So thanks for taking the time to share your story with us. Well, praise God, and thank you so much. All right, and blessings to you and whatever the Lord has planned for you next. (laughs) Amen. God bless you. All righty. Very good. We just have a few minutes left to go here um, in our program. Before we um, wrap things up, we need to toss back to Aaron at Command Central for a uh, look ahead at our next program. On the next Real Presence Live, Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, tune in for a whole show focused on books. We will speak with Kimberly Begg, author of Unbreakable, Saints That Inspired Saints to Moral Courage, and Patty Armstrong, author of Holy Hacks, Everyday Ways to Live Your Faith and Get to Heaven. We will also hear from other great Catholic authors. All this and more is coming to you on the next Real Presence Live, Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back to you, fathers. Thank you very much, Aaron. That's a, that is an enticing lineup there. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You had Cardinals on your mind. I did, yes. And I'm not just thinking of uh, sports teams like NFL or Major League Baseball. I'm thinking of the recently newly named Cardinals and who these people are, what they're about. I just thought we could give a very brief 101 uh, definition. That word cardinal, from how I understand it, comes from the Latin term for hinge. And I think it represents kind of the um, the, the pivotal nature of uh, their exercise in the church. So um, many cardinals also happen to be bishops and archbishops, but not every bishop or archbishop is a cardinal. Uh, traditionally, at least in recent history, a lot of the largest, most prominent sees, you know, archdiocesan cities, especially in the developed world, uh, their archbishop would be almost a forma, you know, uh, named a cardinal. Um, That's not so much the case anymore. Pope Francis has really made a name for himself in his pontificate of selecting various bishops as cardinals of places where a bishop there had not been in that role before. And the makeup of this group of men at the College of Cardinals is considerably different, perhaps, than it's been, you know, for a long, long time. It's, It's quite diverse in terms of socioeconomic backgrounds and geography. When the Lord calls the Holy Father their home, the uh, cardinals who are under the age of 80 are obliged to participate in the uh, conclave, again from the Latin with a key, where in a retreat atmosphere they vote, and two-thirds uh, majority is necessary to select the next pope, as was done with um, uh, Jorge Bergoglio um, from uh, Argentina in 2013. 
So yeah. it's it's a it's an interesting thing to look at, uh, you know. And I think it's helpful to mention what this is all about and how that works. So thanks so much for, for, uh, for everyone for taking the time to visit uh, to be part of our um, con- conversations today, and we ask for blessings upon you and your families and your loved ones. Stay safe out there, and until next time, all the best to you on behalf of Father Leffer, Father James Gross. God's blessings to you all. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live. Local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.